Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner, and with us right now is David Schoen, a solo practitioner. He focuses primarily on litigation of complex civil and criminal cases. He does a lot of pro bono work. He's worked for the American Civil Liberties Union, but he got a lot of prominence representing the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, in his re- recent impeachment trial in Washington, D.C. He made headlines for not not wanting to work on Shabbos and for covering his head when he drank water. So, David, uh, practically, thank you for joining us. Shavuot Tov. Thank you very much. Shavuot Tov. Thank you. So, listen, I, I thought it was great that you took off Shabbos and made a big deal about it, but I think Alan Dershow asked you the question, maybe you could have been there on Shabbos and not written at other people with some of the work, so why didn't you do that? Yeah, I, I, yeah he did make that point. I could have possibly you know, moved the microphone out of the way and all that. I thought that, uh, for me, it, it certainly wouldn't have been uh, keeping in the spirit of Shabbos. And I thought that the making an appearance in a prominent setting like that on Shabbos, treating it like it was a regular work day, would have sent exactly the wrong message about my religious practice anyway. For me, it's a personal thing. but And so I wrote the letter, and uh, they approved it, actually, immediately. Now, how did you get to be representing the former president of the United States? That's a good question. I got a call out of the blue about uh, three weeks ago on a Sunday night from his chief of staff asking me if I would be interested in possibly representing the president, the impeachment thing. I said I would possibly be interested, depending on who was on the team and that sort of thing. Anyway, we talked for a while, and he said uh, he'd call me back the next day with the president, but the president called me about two hours later himself. We talked for a very long time, asked me if I would consider it, called me back the next day, asked me again if I would consider it. I said I had to think about it. I'm a solo practitioner. It's a big undertaking. Um, and uh, anyway, after that, I saw that they had signed up this guy from South Carolina, so I figured it was finished. And I wrote them a nice email thanking them, and they said, actually, that was just the name that was leaked. We'd like you to stay in and quarterback the case. I said I wasn't sure if they would accept that. They had five lawyers in South Carolina. But anyway, they, the president called them, and they very graciously accepted it and gave me a leading role with them. Then they had a parting of the ways. The president asked me if I would take it just myself. I said I thought that was too big an undertaking for me. So then they hired this other fellow, Bruce Castor, to help me. And there was some tension. The president didn't like the performance of Bruce Castor, right? So <laughs> they wanted you to take over again, but there was a lot of tension behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know about a lot of tension. I gave a bad interview that I shouldn't have given probably to that Jewish insider. Um, listen, the, the, uh, Castor and his partner were very nice fellows. They had a firm in there, nice folks, experienced lawyers. And I think everybody did the best job that they could in this case. Uh, I, I, my mistake was the president asked me to you know, take the leading role in the case. I don't have an assertive sort of personality. They came in with a firm. They organized things. They gave out parts. It was perfectly fine for me just to have a limited role in arguing the jurisdiction. But the president got more involved as the case proceeded, and he said that wasn't acceptable. He wanted me to talk more. So I couldn't do the closing argument because it was on Shabbos. So I came up with this idea to do sort of a powerhouse video presentation to try to hit a knockout blow no matter what else happened. And that ended up working out pretty well, I think. Well, you talk about the Friday presentation, the videos, I thought they were very good. It was powerful, and uh, certainly it showed, I think, the perspective of where you're coming from. Did the president have any hand with you in deciding what videos you were going to use? Not exactly, but he had some very good video people. What I did was I made an outline up on Wednesday night of what I wanted to do if I were going to do this kind of presentation, because this was all very last minute. And Thursday, I really got some details down, the kinds of videos I needed. I had started this about a week or so earlier, the subjects I wanted videos on. So I think video is very powerful. I learned it from Sean Hannity, actually. <laughs> I <think laughs> these things. But uh, so, so anyway, so we put them together. actually didn't get together all the videos I wanted until thir- uh, Friday morning at about 10 o'clock. So finally, oh, I was satisfied with it. I went back, I wrote up my script for them, and then uh, just left at 11.15. I'd never done a run-through. I went on at about 12.30 and put them on. I'll tell you this, what I think, first of all, the president loved it, but secondly, social media kind of blew up with them. And but most importantly, I think in some sense, was 
the Republican senators really felt kind of heartened by it. They felt for three, four years during the administration, they've been knocked around by the Democrats with this double standard and hypocrisy. And so they really felt heartened. And I got it. They were very gracious to me, as was the president. Now, obviously, he liked your presentation, but in the New York Times, they did a story with you, and they quote you that uh, when you're dealing with some of the other lawyers, like Mr. Castor, that you know that you didn't push back. In retrospect, but should you have pushed back more? Would you have liked to have pushed back more? I personally wouldn't have liked to, but what happened was, you know, we had a week to prepare. During that week, the president wasn't so engaged. He had an assistant who was dealing with this. And he saw the whole agenda that was set out, and he was fine with it. So, again, uh, Mr. Castor gave me kind of a limited role. I was supposed to speak on jurisdiction. That was about it, maybe do a small opening. And so when we got there, then the president started getting involved. He said, I don't understand. I made you lead counsel. How are you not telling them that you have to do the speaking here? I said that, you know, that's for the client to say that I, uh, uh, you know, your assistant was handling things. This is how it was set up. So, again, he asked me just to retool then and to give more of a speaking role. So that's how I came up with this video presentation thing. But there never really was any tension behind the scenes. I liked Castor and his partner very much and their whole firm. It's just my fault that I don't, I don't have an assertive personality. Had I straightened it out from the beginning, I guess what the president would have had me say is, listen, I'm lead counsel. I'll give out the parts, and I have to do the primary talking parts. But I think it worked out fine. But shouldn't the president have told you know the other people that he wanted you to take the lead role as opposed to you doing it? Wouldn't it make more sense because he's the client? Right, but you know he wasn't personally involved then. He was you know a very busy guy. His assistant should have done that, and he told me he was doing it. But I was on the phone with them all, and he said, "Guys, you know this is a joint effort." So listen, I, I, I admired Castor for stepping up. He has a firm, he's organized, and somebody had to you know organize things and distribute the parts i'm just not it's not my personality i only do i have a fair a firm rule in my practice i only do a team defense if i put together the team and we know each other and we have a certain mutual respect i broke that rule in this case but it was kind of a last minute thing you know there weren't a lot of alternatives and we were all put together and didn't know each other so castor didn't know me at all and so you know what happened that first day that people have written spoken so much about is after the house managers put on their case i was supposed to stand up and go but castor felt that you know there needed to be a response to that, and that he should be the guy to do it. And he was very confident in himself, and I admired him for having the courage to stand up. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out that great, but I then got to go, and I was happy with my presentation. No, I thought you did a great present Friday. I thought it was a blowout. Who were some of the assistants that you dealt with uh, with the president? Hey, I don't want to use their name because I don't know if, they're, if they uh, want their names used. But anyway, uh, he's, you know, he's got a whole core of people that are very loyal to him and work for him and all that, but. I don't then, want to mention anybody's name. When you came on board, you told him from the get-go that you weren't going to work on Shabbos, correct? Yeah. And what was the, was the, when they were comfortable with that? Because you were going to be the lead attorney. If you weren't going to be there on Shabbos, it would have right. you know taken away from it. So, But they were okay with that from the beginning. Yeah, they were fine with that from the beginning. The president supported whatever position I took on that. But also, I think everybody understood. I was dealing with Senator McConnell's office. Everybody pretty well understood that if I put in the request, it would be granted that uh, it was up to Leader Schumer, but that he would not say no. And in fact, I spoke to him about it afterwards. I went up and thanked him, uh, introduced myself to him, and he said, well, you know what my name is, don't you? I asked, I really didn't, but I guess. I said, oh, maybe Shomer? He said, yeah, my name is Shomer, and I explained to everybody why you needed the Sabbath off and why you cover your head, and that sort of thing. Uh, and by the way, Schumer always proud. When I knew him when he was in the cell, and he was Schumer the neighbor, now he's a much bigger Schumer now that he's in Washington, <laughs> D.C. So you mentioned covering your head. So that seemed to generate a lot of publicity. <laughs> I got you didn't expect that. No, when I spoke to Alan Dershowitz about it, he said, well, not only were you covering your head when you made the blessing, the bracha, but every time you drank the water, you cover your head. Yeah. So uh, tell us about that and how that all came about and what you expected to the reaction that you got. <laughs> The last part, absolutely not. I didn't even give it a second thought at the time. I wasn't even thinking about a camera being on me. You know what happened? I, I went up. I made a decision. I, I've often wrestled with this. I wear a yarmulke if I'm just arguing a case in front of the judge. If I'm in front of a jury, I don't. I think that it makes stereotypes. It can inure to the client's detriment. I just don't want to take that chance. So here, I didn't know these senators. I don't know what anybody's going to think. Some people look at you. All they can see is the yarmulke. So I decided, let's not make an issue. I'll take it off. But then I got up there. I had just recovered from COVID, I guess. I was very thirsty. And uh, so I decided to take a drink. I realized I didn't have my yarmulke on. So first, I'm making a bracha. I, cover, I just put my hand over my head. 
And then I took a couple more drinks. I didn't think twice about it. All of a sudden, it hits the Internet, and it's like, you know, what's this guy doing? But it's interesting. My kids were watching. I don't do social media. I, don't, I get, can't stand the mean comments and stuff. So my kids were watching it, and uh, they said, first people were making mean comments, mocking me, but then people would write in and explain it's a religious thing, and they took it back. Like, even the people with mean comments said, oh, I didn't realize that. No, because people don't understand, and, and it's a beautiful thing that that you're making a blessing, that you're covering your head. So I, I I was very happy to see that, and you took a stand, which a lot of people don't. They're ashamed of their religion. But I was curious, though, some of the day, one day you did wear a yarmulke in some of the photos, and some days you didn't. So why did yeah. you wear one? Was that the reaction to the putting your hand, your head over your hand, your hand over your head that you wanted to show you wearing a yarmulke the next day? No, I've seen those pictures. What happened was, about two or three days, I walked in, I forgot I had my yarmulke on. So after I kind of tried to, you know, uh, quietly pull it off after a while. But yeah, I saw some of those pictures too. It was only on for a little while, but I forgot I had it on. But there were some other people with yarmulkes that were next to you. Who were they? They were working for you? No, I didn't see anybody there with a yarmulke besides me. Yeah, there wasn't some of the photos. There was somebody else. I think it was somebody wearing a white yarmulke, uh, at least some of the <laughs> pictures that I've seen. Oh, I never saw it. <laughs> uh, I'll send you some of that. But yeah. now what I, what I wanted to just ask you about, what have been the repercussions? Here you are, you're on national television, and you're representing the President of the United States. So did you have any any implications where people won't talk to you, won't hire you? From what I understand, you were going to be in a law school that they totally wouldn't let you participate because of your representation of the President? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm very sensitive to what happens on campuses now. I... Uh I've helped found this Center for Law and Justice that the ZOA puts out, and we do a lot of work on campus trying to help kids, especially this woman, Susan Tuckman, trying to help kids who have faced anti-Semitic backlash on campus, anti-Israel talk and all that. So I'm sensitive about what happens on campus. So what happened was I've been in discussions with the law school about teaching a civil rights course in the fall. I'm 36 years. I'm a civil rights lawyer. That's where my heart is, criminal defense, civil rights. Anyway, so very nice folks, and... Uh, we kind of had settled on something, no guarantee, but they're putting together a program. So I was going to do it in the fall. But now I took on this representation. I didn't want them to read about it in the paper, so I, I emailed the fellow, the dean, to say, I want to, you know, I'm going to be representing President Trump. Do you think that'll be a problem on campus? They wrote back saying, actually, it would be that it would make some of the students and faculty uncomfortable. Maybe one day we could revisit this, but it's not going to be possible in the fall. And then I, uh, I belong to a listserv of civil rights lawyers all of whom are very prominent except for me, and they, uh, it's a very valuable list. We exchange ideas all the time. They're very fine lawyers, fine folks. So I saw that I got an email from the president of the list. I never got one before, and I didn't open it, but I, I thought this was what it could be, so I wanted to try to take a step, you know, make it less awkward for them. So I wrote the same kind of thing. You know, I'm representing the president. Would it be awkward for you? So actually they got back to me and said, oh, boy, they had spent, since they read it in the paper, they'd spent 48 hours talking with the board about it, and they decided they had to suspend me from the list. I can't be a part of the list anymore. Hey, so those kinds of things. For shame of them. I mean, I, well, you can't represent. We'll talk yeah. about when we come back. It just, what's happening to our country? Because you also represented and worked with the American Civil Liberties Union. I think you're probably been disqualified for representing them today, right? Yeah, probably so, probably so. And David Schoen is our guest, attorney at law. He's a federal criminal defense and civil rights lawyer. He's worked for the ACLU, as I just mentioned. He's also worked with the Zionist Organization of America. His office is in New York and Alabama. And he's represented very ably the President of the United States, President John J. Trump, in his impeachment hearings. Hi, this is David Gabay, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, you're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. We're back. David Schoen is our guest, attorney at law, federal criminal defense and civil rights lawyer. We're going to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment. And please, when we get to your call, please be succinct and to the point. David, were you tempted when you the event, the final day of the impeachment hearing was on Shabbos to know what was <laughs> going to go on? Did you have did you have the radio in the background, the TV? Were you checking with neighbors? Were you biting your nails? Or did you know what was going to happen? 
I, I mean, I was hopeful. I was hopeful we would win. When I left on uh, uh, Friday after my presentation, I thought we had 45, 46 votes. But yeah, I was nervous to hear for after Shabbos. I want to correct one thing. You mentioned before seeing somebody else in the picture with a yarmulke. You're absolutely right. I forgot. I brought one of my sons with me, and he would come in and bring me messages. I told him he doesn't take his keeper off. My wife made those knit keepers for all my kids and for me. But uh, I'll tell you, I have to tell you this. One of the most important things of this whole process is that I made this a whole family affair. We sat down and prepared everything the week before I went on there. It was a civics lesson for my whole family. I had a daughter who pulled the poem from the Lincoln period. I wanted to focus on the Lincoln era because I thought the country was so divided then like it is now. But my son who came there with me found a misstatement in their brief, thanks to the uh, Yeshiva University History Department. He graduated from a history major. He saw a reference to a history book in there, and it was a completely misleading reference. He pulled it for me, and I called them on it the first day in my presentation. Wow. And, and, and by the way, it was, it's impressive what you did and what you were able to accomplish, and I'm glad your son was there wearing a yarmulke. And it, it, was, it was nice to see. It was nice to see even you're wearing a yarmulke. I know that uh, you said you didn't intend to do that, but it sends a message. How did you react to Professor Samuel Heilman, who said what you did was not a kiddish, not because of the eye? He said, but how could you defend Trump when he did with immigration? So therefore, it was a chilah Hashem, a desecration of God's name. Yeah, I don't. First of all, I didn't read it because my kids told me they read it. It was very mean. I don't like to read that kind of thing. They were shocked by it. Uh, they thought it was very nasty and uh, sort of very simplistic. Um, I don't understand this whole backlash with that stuff. As I've said before, you know, I represent two or three uh, defendants, defendants in capital murder cases every year, pro bono basis. I represent the Ku Klux Klan before for the ACLU. I served on the board of the Alabama ACLU and the legal committee. You know, I, I grew up listening to Alan Dershowitz that. A lawyer is a lawyer, and you're going to have to represent at times unpopular clients. Those are the people who need your representation the most. In this case, I thought it was a tremendous honor to have the President of the United States call me out of the blue, a little solo practitioner, Montgomery, Alabama, and ask me to represent him. I wouldn't have considered saying no, and it was an honor to do it. But they said, but I think what Professor Heilman said to me, well, somebody else could have done it. Why you did doing it? So therefore, he was upset. But I think he's in the minority in the Orthodox community. But he was saying, like, you know, it's like representing thugs and mobsters. But I think you represent the mobsters, too. They're entitled to a defense, aren't they? Yeah, the, yeah, the bulk of my practice is as a criminal defense lawyer. I represent so-called organized crime figures. I represent, uh, you know, people of all sorts. I uh, took a lot of flack for another representation that I had uh, earlier this year. But uh, anyway, it's, for me, it's part of the business. That's, I represent people who are unpopular but who need defending. We have to recall, who did you represent that you had a lot of flack for as well? Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. Oh, Debbie from Brooklyn, thank you for waiting. Your question for David Schoen. No, I'm just, I'm just awed by the, by the Kiddush Hashem that was made. And Mr. Schoen has it made in Olam Haba and has it made in Olam Hazeh for generations till eternity. Just incredible. You know, I'd like to respond to that for a second. Sure. I, I, I can't tell you how much it means to me when I get these kinds of calls and emails, and I've had a number of these things. The problem is it makes me start to cry, and then I can't talk on the... Uh, I, I mean, it's just anymore. something <laughs> out of a storybook, the way you are Makadashim Shemaim, and I am a religious Jew all my life. Do we get an opportunity like that, and the way you did it with such honor? It just resonates. It resonates yeah. through the world. It resonates in heaven. It is unbelievable. Okay, I, I would bet that you make a Kiddush Hashem every day of your life, but I appreciate it very much. No, the fact that you didn't take someone else's advice to go to the Senate and speak without a microphone, do you know what that did in heaven? you know what it did on earth? It's unreal. Anyway, thank you really for a good question. Thank you for listening tonight. And we go from Debbie in Brooklyn. Let's go to, I believe we have Judy in Brooklyn. Uh, go ahead, Judy in Brooklyn. Judy, Hello, are you, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Judy. Okay. Um, Mr. Schoen, um, I have a question, but before I have my question, I must tell you, I am so impressed with you. You have such wonderful traits, and it's not because you represented President Trump, who I happen to love and think one of the best presidents ever. That's not the reason. It's because I read your uh, interview, and I was what came out was, your amazing fairness and honesty and integrity and your loyalty to the American Constitution. And, yes, 
the fact that you stood up for your Yiddishkeit more than anything, and I understand you are a Balas too because it says so in the article, <clears throat> so it's not something that's secret. So at the age of 35, you didn't know anything, and then from there on, you're just so impressive. I cannot tell you it's an honor for me to speak to you. And I do have a question, if I may. Go right ahead, your question. question. All right, here's the question. Um, Mr. Schoen, what can be done about the silencing of any and all conservative opinions on all these platforms now, including the mainstream news channels? What can be done? Plus, they get away with lies to smear anyone and no accountability, no punishment. What can be done about this uh, one-sided silencing as an attorney? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a very important question. I'm not sure I have the answer. I think that Congress may need to act to um, to remove some of the immunity from liability that these folks like Twitter and other social media platforms have. Um, if they're going to be a public forum like that, then I think they, they, they really have to stop censoring people and that sort of thing. But I think we also have to develop additional platforms. Conservative groups have to develop alternatives that can make bigger than Twitter and get a voice out there. But you do have some top-notch conservative uh, spokespeople out there. You have people like, you know, Sean Hannity and, and, and the like, who's a very good friend of mine, and I think he really, you know, tells it like it is uh, personally. But I have to also thank you so much for the initial comment. Um, you know, the fellow whose shul I went to when I first uh, came with on his Turn Friday night into Shabbos program to get into this, I think is listening now, Rabbi Alan Schwartz of OF Zedek. And, uh, oh, you're on, you went, you went, you went the upper west side of Manhattan for a while, right? Right. So I moved into a building. I, I, as far as I knew, I'd never met an Orthodox Jew before in my life. I moved into a building, started seeing the yarmulkes around. looked like a dormitory for the shul next door. <laughs> anyway, the people at the shul were just unbelievably welcoming, non-judgmental. Nobody said, you know, where you been the first 35 years of your life? Everybody took it in. My family, you know, accepted it. My mother uh, had a whole set of, you know, became cautious, observant, and so on, and everything. Wonderful. Mr. Schoen, I just want to, I'm going to hang, but I just want to say there's no accountability right now. They lie, yep. and you know it. They lie, yep. they sneer, they ruin people. Uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, former, has been such a great person and such a great president. They lied from beginning to end because I've been following in the Anyway, I, I, I thank you. I thank you. Around. Thank you for a good call. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Um, you mentioned Rabbi Alan Schwartz, who was on this program a week ago. They do amazing. He does an amazing job over at Setting. It's a wonderful shul and is in the west side of Manhattan. So just tell us a little bit about your background before you became observant. I, I grew up, uh, I, I, grew, I was born in, in New York, but my father died when I was four. So my mother raised my brother and me as a single parent. She remarried. My stepfather was killed when I was 10. So I, I didn't really have an opportunity to have much organ, formal religious uh, uh, association or anything. I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13. I went with a conservative Jewish group to Israel, but, you know, it was a sort of prompt, impromptu thing. As I got older, I got more and more interested in religion. I was in Alabama, and I uh, met a conservative rabbi, Rabbi Aaron Krupnik, terrific guy. And again, non-judgmental. So I basically started cutting out little things. But, you know, I ate basically a ham and cheese sandwich for, for lunch every day um, before all that. So I started cutting out things gradually. And then when I went to this program and I met these people at OF Zedek, it was a whole new world to me. Some of the finest people I'd ever met. And they, you know, weren't doing the kinds of things on Friday night I'd been doing. So it just, I really found it was for me. And uh, it stuck. Okay, let's go to Stan and Forest Hills. Go ahead, Stan and Forest Hills. Stan, are you there? Okay, if it's not Stan, let us go to Arye and Flappush. Go ahead, Arye and Flappush. Yes, I have a question, but first I want to make a couple of comments. Uh, I'm getting feedback uh, within this line. Okay, go ahead. Um, I, I want to say that, you know, Hashem rewarded you for the Kiddush Hashem by giving your son an experience that he'll be able to talk about and cherish the rest of his life. That was your that was the reward. And also what you did, the Kiddush Hashem you made, was no less than what Sandy Koufax did by not pitching in the seventh game of the World Series. This was the World Series. And it was the same thing. We just venerate sports more than we do law. Now, I just want to ask a question. Um, I'm an attorney, and so this is attorney to, to attorney. Um, you know, the first case that you study when you go to law school is Marbury versus Madison, which right. stands for, it says that, that it is emphatically the province of the court to say what the law is. So if that's the case, 
Why were the senators voting on jurisdiction, number one? And number two, if John Roberts refused to preside over the case, why, that was almost a de facto opinion. So why couldn't the senators bring it to the entire court or walk off and not participate in the trial? Well, they, they could have. That's a very good question. Um, if you got me crying with the first part, but now I've recovered, I can answer this part. Um, I, the, the jurisdiction question is very is a very interesting one. Uh, the fa- you're absolutely right. The Chief Justice is required under the Constitution to provide to preside if the president's impeachment is what's at issue. Once he wasn't there, he clearly then they didn't consider him to be the president. They should not have gone forward with the trial because impeachment, everybody knows, is for removal from office first. He held no office anymore. He couldn't have been removed. What they did de facto was conduct a trial. I say this was a bill of attainder. They conducted a trial without any rules, any rules of evidence, any due process whatsoever of a private right. citizen. It's impossible. We can't accept that kind of thing in our process. And one of the things we could have done was go to court and file a petition to try to stop this. But President Trump didn't want to do that. He didn't want to appear that he's uh-huh. trying to evade anything. He said, let's go right at it on the merits then. Okay, is there... Hey, oh, 20, 20 seconds more. Go ahead. Is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, is there appellate review of, of an impeachment... Supreme Court? It's generally not. There's a case called Nixon versus United States. It was a Judge Walter Nixon. And what the Supreme Court said is basically the Senate and the House make their own rules on impeachment, impeachment trials. There are a couple of exceptions, and one would have been not having the Chief Justice preside if it were the president uh, uh, on whose impeachment was at issue here. But there's unfortunately almost no review. I say that's not enough reason to abandon due process. Due process would have been the right thing to do, whether it's judicially enforceable or not. Anyway, thank you for your right, good phone you. call. I appreciate it, Ari. Now, you mentioned before you were working with Senator Mitch McConnell. Was he helpful to you, supportive of you? Because I'm getting mixed messages. He voted not to impeach, but now he's talking about, you know, saying the president did wrong, what he did on January 6th, and he's sending mixed yeah. messages. What kind of signals did he send to you? So I dealt with his staff because they had to do all of the kind of nuts and bolts of the organizing and setting the agenda and that sort of thing. So they were very, very helpful. I think Senator McConnell's point is a fair one in a sense. That is, you could rule against this thing, be fine not to convict because there's no jurisdiction. Where I think he's unfair is to say, on the merits, he thinks that President Trump is somehow morally responsible for the riot or so on. Um, you can't make that kind of comment, I think, fairly in this case, because as even the House managers acknowledge, we don't have the facts. I don't believe there's any connection whatsoever between the speech and what happened at the Capitol. But I think that, you know, we, we need evidence to come in, there's evidence of the pre-planning that's starting to be developed now, other agendas having nothing whatsoever to do with the president. The fact that these people may have also supported the president doesn't mean that was their agenda going into the Capitol. He's very clearly and emphatically said, peacefully, let's go down and protest peacefully. And when he said the word fight, he meant fight for your rights sort of thing, not physically fight. That was very clear in the speech. Let me just throw in, before we get to the rest of the phone, let me throw in a couple of emails, at least one email right now. Gutwach, I have a question about the impeachment. Instead of arguing about the constitutionality of impeaching a president after he leaves office, why don't anybody go to the Supreme Court for a decision on this question? Two, when you are canceled like the president's lawyer has been canceled, is there any recourse? Can you sue them for harming you because of your point of view? Thank you, Dina. Both good questions. I absolutely felt we could go to the Supreme Court. I talked with some scholars, and we were preparing that avenue also. The president didn't want to go that way. He said, I, want to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to evade any process here. They want to take me on in the Senate. Let's go to it. And so we did that. Um, and the second question is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm kind of small potatoes in this thing. Uh, people want to cancel me or whatever they want to do. I'm going to try to be the same lawyer I've always been. I take on unpopular clients. I'm going to continue doing that. I had one funny thing, though. Somebody wrote to me, you will never get a civil rights client again because of what you've done here. It's not like they have so many alternatives. The people I represent don't have the money to pay generally in the civil rights cases. And, you know, they know I've got 36 years of experience with some measure of success. Um, You know, whatever. I've had very honored to be get this American Bar Association award for the change that I've brought in public institutions in the South and all that. I worked very hard at it for many years. I still do. So I'm not worried about, you know, I wish I could have taught at this school. But, you know, so what's not to be then? 
And by the way, you know, you have gotten rewards for your pro bono work, and you've represented a lot of people. The Miracle Civil Liberties Union, when you represent them, it's pro bono. So yeah. it's their loss if they won't accept you. But from what I understand is they've changed. The American Civil Liberty Union always would defend Nazis and Ku Klux Klaners. They say, you know, if their viewpoint is unpopular, we're here to defend it. Today, from what I understand, if they don't like your viewpoint, they will no longer defend you. It's absurd. I mean, that's what the American Civil Liberties Union stood for always. It represented people on the right or on the left if there was a free speech issue there. But now it's like, uh, you know, they, they have a litmus test. I'm shocked by it. I don't recognize it anymore. I served on the board of the Alabama Civil Liberties Union for years. I, their legal committee, we chose which cases to take. And I was honored to represent them in all of the litigation in Alabama in the 90s. And like you mentioned now, I represented the Ku Klux Klan for the ACLU. I'll tell you just a very quick thing about that. Sure. They asked me to represent this guy, leader of the Mississippi Ku Klux Klan. They wanted to march in a town in western Alabama and wear a mask. The town said no masks, and they were trying to charge them a fee. So I represented them on First Amendment grounds, and I won. But before I took it on, I said, I'll get the client on the phone. I told the ACLU, I don't want to hear, after I put in hundreds of hours in the case, I don't want a Jew lawyer. So they get the guy on the phone, and I said, so-and-so, I want you to understand I'm Jewish. He says, oh, boy, that's terrible. I wish you were white and Christian. But okay, at least you're not a Zionist Jew. So I said, okay, let me give you the rest of the bad news then. So anyway, the guy said, okay, he would agree to go forward with me. One of the worst clients I ever had. We won the case. They did a caricature of me in the newspaper after I won. Looked like I just lost the biggest case of my life. I said, yeah, we won. It wasn't pleasant representing the guy, but there were First Amendment uh, principles involved that were important. Did you mention you were, you were part of the Zionist Organization of America? Yeah, that's what, that was the rest of the bad news I had to give the guy. <laughs> he, he had a heart attack, but he said, all right, if you win my case, I'll accept the Jew lawyer. I'll tell you, the worst of it is I did some research on the guy. I have friends who do all the intelligence reports for the Ku Klux Klan white supremacists. This guy was Jewish. His family was Jewish. He left his family. He became another religion himself. But I knew from the name, so I had to mock. I said to the guy, listen, Mr. his name was Golub. I said, Mr. Golub, i got to tell you, your name sounds kind of Jewish to me. They got very angry, you know, and changed the subject right away. And there were some other American Nazis that also came from me that were Jewish and had a right. twisted life and a twisted... <laughs> it's just... Now, let me ask you this question before we break. Did you say to yourself, should I really take on this Ku Klux Klan? He hates Jews. Should I, do I really yeah. want to defend him? Maybe somebody else should do it? I thought about it. They couldn't get anybody else also. I tried to settle the case. It was a town, uh, majority population African-American. It was very, very sad. Some of these people had been, you know, abused by the Klan for years. I agreed to take it on, and I'm glad I took it on. I mean, I've taken on many other cases. I disagree vehemently with the people's position on. But I've spoken out to a synagogue group or two, and people were very angry with me for taking it on, and I can understand their anger. Now, weren't you representing somebody from Black Lives Matter recently? I well, I, I have a case now in which I represent the uh, fellow named Jermaine McBean, who was shot and killed in cold blood by a, a deputy, Broward County deputy in Florida. And Black Lives Matter supports the case. They pro I've protested with them in the case because uh, they had 167 people who were killed by law enforcement officers in Broward County. Not one was ever prosecuted. Let me say this. As far as I'm concerned, our police officers, firefighters are absolutely the heroes in the world. But there are some bad ones in this case. It was a bad shooting. I think the uh, officer panicked, but then they lied about it and they covered it up. So that's why I'm pursuing that case. But, uh, yeah. So. Now, with Bla is Black Lives Matter still having you represent, despite the fact that you represented Donald J. Trump? Well, the client, uh, the client supports me 100%. Someone told me that they saw a posting now on the Internet, on the website for this uh, thing that Black Lives Matter had put up, saying basically what the so-and-so you understand Jermaine's lawyer is now representing Donald Trump. How can this be? Something like that. But I haven't heard any backlash from them. I'm sure some people are angry about it. But you know. David Sean's our guest, attorney of law, federal criminal defense and civil rights lawyer. He does a lot of pro bono work. His practice is in Alabama, in New York. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia, very active in Jewish organizations, including the Zionist Organization of America. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. 
That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner, our guest is David Schoen. He's uh, served with distinction. He represented the president very ably in the impeachment trial hearings. He's a civil rights attorney. He practiced in New York and in Alabama. And uh, we're going to take a bunch more of your phone calls at 212-769-1925, 212-769-1920. Email is a wonderful way to have your questions answered. Let's go to Menachem in Maplewood, New Jersey. Go ahead, Menachem. Good work. Uh, Mr. Sean, you make us uh, Jews feel so proud. Um, the one thing that I was thinking, if I was in your shoes, I would have um, wondered if I was President Trump's first choice to represent him, or if that ever even crossed your mind. And also, if you ever uh, thought about bringing uh, uh, Mr. Dershowitz into uh, uh, the situation uh, to get advice or to speak to him. Uh I, I, I often wonder that kind of thing. You know, people say to me all the time when I do these big cases, why did they hire you? Uh, I think it's a fair question. Again, as I say, I'm a solo practitioner in Montgomery, Alabama. So, yeah, I did. But I have to say the president was unbelievably gracious at all times, uh, giving me the confidence, told me the best lawyer in the country, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I, I felt very gratified by that. But, yes, I also uh, – Alan Dershowitz is a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm a big admirer of his. And I asked him to join me in this. But, you know, he's already put in his time. He did the first impeachment, and he worked very hard at a lot of things. So this was just uh, – I think I was asking too much to ask him to join me in this. But I would have felt very confident if he had been by my side there. A, trem- a tremendous tremendous job by uh, you, Mr. Schoen. And, uh, and uh, I mean, as, 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 as you, you make us Jews feel so proud. And, uh, Make me feel proud. Good work. Anyway, thank you for, for your good, good question. What are your what are your best what are your best shows ever, Zavid? Thank you. No, we're very pleased. Uh, thank you. Thank you. He is. He's terrific tonight. So thank you. Um, do, are you still in touch with the president? By the way, I spoke to him Monday very briefly. Uh, that's about it. He's, he, I think he's gotten a lot of momentum from this uh, from the acquittal in this case. I think he's very busy now. Is he concerned he's going to be sued by a variety of places, including in New York? I don't know. I think, you know, it's a big mistake for them to do that kind of thing. It, 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 do they have no agenda? Are they just so fixated with this guy? I don't yes, know yes, think, they are fixated. That's right. That's right. So, I don't know. I wish, they, I wish they'd come up with a positive agenda. You were really go, go ahead. Is that Stan? Yes, yes. Go ahead, Stan. Yes, your question for our guests. Well, uh, you know, uh, the previous caller said he's proud. I'm not proud at all. Why aren't you proud? I mean, uh, As a Jew, you're not proud? Well, just a minute. Just a minute. Miss, we had Mr. Dershowitz. And we had, by the way, there's an echo. We had Mr. Dershowitz in the first trial, and we had this gentleman in the second trial. I think he's a decent man. He's a decent man, this gentleman. He's, you know, he's a lawyer. But uh, he was not even the first or second team. He was the third team. Uh, Trump got him. Fine. He needed some form of uh, defense, which is indefensible anyway. Uh, but no, no, hold on, Stan. Is Donald, Trump, is Donald Trump entitled to a defense? Absolutely. Okay, I didn't thank say you. he wasn't, but okay. the fix was already in when already they announced the 17th. And that's fine, but he did it while he was president, Not, and he didn't become a citizen, absolutely. But he did the act while he was president, and I think the House uh, com- uh, attorneys did a fabulous job, absolutely tremendous job. I, I, I think you, you're, yours and the other attorneys on your side didn't do that much, really, to be honest with you. You couldn't defend them on certain things. But I give you credit for coming and doing what you needed to do. The tragedy here is that uh, I think history will judge you and Mr. Dershowitz very badly, and obviously one of the worst presidents in the history of this country. And your name will go down as, uh, look, you, you defended him, and that's fine. You had a right. But history will not judge you well in this situation, I'm sorry. Well, okay, go ahead, David. Your response to Stan from Forest Hills. I don't. I don't really have a response. I mean, Stan's perfectly entitled to his opinion. 
Um, I don't really have any control over how history judges me. Um, if history is going to judge me badly based on the nature of my clients, I can assure you I'll be much poor, more poorly judged because of other people I've represented in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, at least he said I was, he seemed like a decent guy. No, you are. You're a, good, you're a decent man. I, I, I saw you. I thought you would, you know. You, 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 you're Sam, were you proud that, he, that were you proud that he that he that he made a statement by not working on the Sabbath on Shabbos by putting sure, his? That's fine. I, I'm not, I understand that. I, I, I must tell you this I, again. I, I initially, and I'm not. I'm a liberal. I'm very liberal. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, "Is there something? Is he, is he twitching? Or is there something?" I, I didn't. I didn't know that part of it. I'm about to be honest. With you. So I said to myself. Is there something wrong because he keeps going to his... She said, no, no, he's orthodox, he dies. I said, that's fa- unbelievable, it's tremendous. And uh, I'm not trying to make anything of it, but uh, uh, I think for, for what you had to deal with, you did an adequate job. But again, overall, history will not bode well for you in, in this thing. And so, and I, 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 I think history is going to tell because the fact is, though, I think... David, did you get more... Accolades or more comments for the for the uh, for the putting your hand over your head than even defending the president. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not I'm not criticizing that. You no, know, I was asking David that. Uh, did you so, get? Uh, I, I mean, quite to be perfectly honest. I mean, for the two times that I spoke, I got tremendous support from both the president and from the social media and from the public and all that. But uh, you know, Stan certainly was a viewer also, and if he didn't think it was good, then as far as he's concerned, it wasn't good. And, He's entitled to that. I'm sure many people... No, I think you're a decent man. I think you're a decent guy, you know? The funny thing is about history, I spent 36 years as a civil rights and criminal defense lawyer. According to the American Bar Association, my work has changed more, done more to change the public institutions in the South and around the country than any other lawyer of my era. uh, Sir, this is not the South, sir. This is uh, a man who history will not judge well at all uh so you, you know so you, 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 you had a right to defend you understand you may be you may be you may be surprised your name will not look good in next day hold on you, you you'll find that more people may appreciate donald trump go, go inside there go i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead there's a lot of a lot about me that doesn't look good people have their views one way or the other i know that some people hate them some people love them uh i, I can't control that I, I represented a client and i did the best that i could and i appreciate stan recognizes that even if he thought i was the third team and uh, if, if even the third team, and uh, that's all I can say. I, uh, you know, I respect your opinion. All right. Thank you, son. Anyway, okay. okay, thank you, Sam. We appreciate your phone call. Okay, uh, let's. We're going to have a bunch of emails coming in, so let's first take. Um, last call. You there, caller? Okay, if you're not there, let's read an email. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Your question for our guest. Go ahead. Hi. Good luck. Good luck. Good You've been waiting for over forty um, minutes. So thank you. Yes, thank you for doing this tonight. Before I ask my question, I want to quickly say I think, uh, Mr. Schoen, you may know my cousin, Michael Strauss. Uh, his law firm is down the street from yours, or used to be, Strauss and Boys in uh, Alabama. Um, but I, I want to say I think you did a wonderful job. I'm wondering, actually, if you take a New Jersey civil rights case involving anti-Semitism, because I have one in mind. But um, I do want to say that um, you did, did a particularly good job in uh, pointing out the lies of Congressman Jamie Raskin in terms of the, the false presentation that he did. I think that was the best aspect of your case, of uh, the president's case. And my question is, uh, Mr. Schoen, I just wanted to know, are you aware that um, in his closing argument on, on Shabbos uh, morning, uh, uh, Jamie Raskin, the House manager, sort of implied that you were no longer part, he basically said, you're, apparently Mr. Schoen is no longer part of President Trump's defense team. Uh, he gestured over to your empty seat at the defense table and, and sort of made an issue of that and I think I think uh, alluded to some things, uh, made, made an allusion to some things that were in the media, perhaps, uh, from a couple of days before. But he, he knew that you were not there because of Shabbos, so I, I, I wanted to know if you were aware of that. I watched that tape on YouTube after Shabbos, the, the, the Raskin's closing argument. I thought that was just horrible for him I'm, to I'm say let, that. I'm going to let uh, David respond to you. Go ahead, David. Yeah, Someone told me about that. I didn't watch his speech. I actually couldn't stand listening to him too much. I didn't hear our side give the closing either. Um, uh, so, I, But I have heard that he made that reference. I want to make this point you know, about the position Jamie Raskin took. Their position is so radical, and this is in response to Stan also. It wasn't just representing Donald Trump. I was representing the Constitution, as presumptuous as that might sound. Understand this. The position the House managers took 
was that any person who ever decides to serve as a civil officer in our government is subject to being impeached at any time in perpetuity for conduct they did in office, which literally means that if one day they decided that, you know, slavery was actually a good thing, they could impeach Abe Lincoln for what he did today. They could impeach him for what he did in office, or President Obama for Benghazi, Eric Holder for Fast and Furious. It's a radical position. Anything they did in office. Why should people want to become civil officers? If now what it means is you could take them to trial, in effect, bar them from ever running for office again, disenfranchise, in this case, President Trump's 74 million voters, and as a private citizen, it's, uh, I, it was a shocking position to take. Anyway, yes, it was. And, and, Con- and Congressman Goose also, I, I, I don't know if you remember, he said in his argument that he believes that the Congress could also, Senate could also vote to disqualify uh, President Trump, even if the vote on impeachment, the conviction was not enough to have 57 votes to convict. He yeah. set forth, he believed that they could take a vote. Um, on the disqualification part alone. I was a bit surprised that Raskin and crew didn't try to, you know, move the Senate to take a vote on that. I was I was delighted that they didn't, but I thought that they were going to try to do that. They really put one over. They tried to put one over on the American people with our, and abused our Constitution, and I, I, I can't stand for that. I don't think any American should stand for that. Anyway, thank you for a really good question with Thanks. that. Now, when I spoke to Alan Dershowitz, by the way, David, um, I said, how can they get away with it because he's, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on is unconstitutional. The problem is there's nobody really watching it, so they pretty much made it up as they went along and got away with it. Yeah. You know, that, that's part of, the, part of the thing with the videotapes was holding them to the task. For example... This guy Castro got up and said, uh, the, this president claimed that the only way he could have lost is if it was stolen from him. Can you imagine any politician at any level ever claiming the only way they could lose is if the election was stolen? So I had a tape. One of my sons helped me find it also. Sherrod Brown, Democratic senator from Ohio. The only way Stacey Abrams lost this election is if it was stolen from her. So I played the two back to back to juxtapose it. You know, it's crazy. That was great. And, and, and considering the amount of time you had to work on it, you got some amazing <laughs> video clips. Where did you get? Did you get them from Sean Hannity? Where did you get them from? No, what I did was about when I first got into the case, I gave a list to the president's assistants on the subjects I wanted videotapes on, and so then I asked them to pull it. And then the night before this thing, I made a further list up. Then I stayed up through the night, Thursday night, outlining everything I needed to have. And by Thursday morning, uh, Friday morning, they had it all together. They had an inventory. They terrific people. They searched the internet and found these videos. Sarah writes, a good vach as a proud from Jew always. You make me even prouder now. Your kiddush Hashem put us all from Jews on a pedestal. I can fully understand why President Trump chose you, and please ignore that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a nice email. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. So, listen, could you see a movie being made about uh, the impeachment uh, hearings? And who would you <laughs> want? Who do you want to play David Schoen? Uh, Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about a movie. It just uh, I, I wish the thing had never happened, frankly. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. It was, it's the opposite of creating unity and healing that they claim they want to have in this country. They should move on now. But let me ask you this. You've been around and you've been doing it for over 30 years and you've been representing clients like the Ku Klux Klan. Nobody gave you. Yes, people were upset at you representing them. But the I, I would tell say that the vitriol that you're representing the President of the United States is probably greater than representing a Ku Klux Klan or a mobster because we live in such a partisan political times. How do you how do you deal with it? Have you had any threats to you physically because of it or your family? Uh, I, I was disappointed in a number of the emails. I mean, I, I had a guy, I don't understand this. I, I try to get my kids to explain to me about social media more. I just, I don't like the nastiness of it, so I stay off of it. But a guy wrote me literally six page-long emails about what he wanted to do to me, what he's going to do to me, what Hitler should have done to my entire family, and all that. I don't know where they find these people. I don't know anybody like that, frankly, and I hope I never meet anyone like that. So that stuff was discouraging to me. I don't understand it, but that's me. I was naive coming in, let's put it that way. Right, but, you know, listen, it was an experience of a lifetime representing the President of the United States. What do you do for an encore? Uh, I don't know. I'll go back to my regular law practice. What means the most to me in my practice, quite honestly, is trying to help people who need a break, trying to fulfill the American dream. And that, that's what I do. And people who have been victims, I, I just finished the case now. A fellow was taken to jail. Uh, innocent guy was just he missed a hearing that he forgot about. And uh, he ate something, ended up dying seven days later from an ulcer. And all they did was mock him. And so it's the first time ever I sued the medical uh, practice. I sued the guards. 
medical facility turned out to be a federal agency. First time ever they had to admit medical malpractice and wrongful death in the case. That kind of stuff to me, you know, makes a difference. And the class actions that I bring. So that's what I'll go back to now. I'm sure just nobody will hear from me again, and I'll be a solo practitioner in Montgomery, Alabama, but I try to make a difference. I think you're going to get more national attention to some of the stuff that you do, and rightfully so, because you do a lot of pro bono work. You work for the Zionist Organization of America in their fight, they're fighting against anti-Semitism, against anti-Israel prejudice. So we appreciate you being here with us, and thank you for creating a sanctification of God's name by taking off on Shabbos and also by putting your hand over your head, you know, to, to show that your blessing is important from you. So I know some of the rabbis were uncomfortable with you, right? You probably heard some feedback. Well, it's not good enough if you put your hand over your head. But that's I'm, right. That's right. Um, that also was a lesson, by the way, to give Shurim about it. I think they're right. I mean, there is a source of Mishnah Brewer that you know, supports it, I think. But anyway, no, it's a good question. But let me tell you something. You have a fabulous show. Your callers have been just terrific tonight. I, I, as I say, each one of them says these kinds of things. makes me cry. But it's it's very heartwarming for my family and for me to hear. No, and, and really, uh, I'm so glad you came on the show, and I'm glad what you did because you know too often I hear of people that are embarrassed of their Judaism. I can tell you, you probably know stories like that too. People are ashamed. I was growing up. I was growing up. Right? You were embarrassed of being not, not, Jewish. But, but my family supported me 100. percent But somehow I had this thing. I went to a public school in Virginia. I was the only Jewish kid that I knew of. And I didn't want to stand out like that. You, you go back two generations. My great-grandfather was president of Torah Vadas. We had those background at some point, but, you know, we gradually became assimilated. But my, my mother, you know, worked as hard as she put 16, 18 hours a day raising us. My only regret in all of this is that my mother couldn't see it. As I said before, my family got hit very hard with COVID in December, and my mother passed away from it. She was the most amazing person I've ever had the honor of knowing in my life. She was our best friend. She lived next door five steps from me. We had breakfast every day, exercise every day. That's only, you know, eight weeks ago now. And that's what I had in my mind going into this trial. That was, that was a very difficult thing for me. What did you do about Kaddish? I'm sure it must have been a challenge for you. Yeah, so I missed Kaddish and Mincha during the, during the course of this thing. So I have something that I say Rabbi Schwartz gave me. It's the same thing we say when we're taking out the Torah, say the Torah on Shabbos. It's a substitute. But I also had somebody saying Kaddish for me, but I don't really buy into that. And I was very sad about that. I'm back now to my regular minion. Wow, but it's 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 really something you know special that you're able to do that. I'm sorry to hear about your mother. Yes, I I heard about it. I know it must have been hard for you. Thank you. Time is up, David. We appreciate you being with continuous success. We look forward to having you back again, and and certainly Love to. and the fact that you're orthodox and not afraid to represent the Ku Klux Klan or now even though they hate you, you represent the real value. The truth is. And a lot of my audience is conservative, but there is something for representing what the ACLU did. They even represented the Jewish Defense League and other people that they didn't disagree with. I think we're missing that. If you only talk to the people that you're on the same page with, that's a major problem. And I, and I think if you, if you represent people that you don't agree with, it says something. And we're missing that with the ACLU. And I want to, I think they should be taken to task about that. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.